tribe of Judah, the southern kingdom, they had allowed themselves to become so influenced by the world that you could start seeing it in the way that they were living. And our first lesson was, is when we began to lose interest. The Lord's no longer as important to us as he once was. Tonight we're going to look at chapter 2, and that is when the family starts to fall apart. You can see these signposts along the way, and you can see what it means when people begin to leave the Lord and how it affects their lives. Drifting away from God has some very serious consequences in our lives. Sometimes we think that we can choose to live separate from the way that God wants us to and everything will go all right. Proverbs 13 verse 15 says, good understanding gains favor, but the way of the unfaithful or the way of the transgressor is hard. It leads a life that is filled with all kinds of sorrows. Or as you go further to Hosea 14 and verse 9, who is wise Let him understand these things. Who is prudent? Let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right. The righteous walk in them. But the transgressors stumble in them. Their life is one of tripping and falling and going through difficulty. So Malachi is talking about how these people have failed God and how God looks at their failure and what he wants them to do. We're going to see how their families were falling apart. We're going to look at three things from this text, beginning with verse 10 of chapter 2. We're going to notice how they started marrying foreign women and how that brought about some great difficulty. Then we're going to look at some faithlessness in marriage, how people were no longer holding true to the values and the vows that they had made. And then finally, in verse 17, a failure to appreciate God's divine justice. In other words, you look at us and you're saying, we're failing here, we're failing there, and God, why am I going through all this difficulty? And God says, because you chose that way. Let's begin, first of all, at verses 10 through 12. And Malachi writes, Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why do we deal treacherously with one another by profaning the covenant of our fathers. Now I could just pause here and point out to you that he said, why do you violate the covenant? You made an agreement with God. You said, we'll do what God has told us to do. Judah has dealt treacherously and an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem for Judah has profaned the Lord's holy institution, which he loves. He has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob the man who does this, being awake and aware, yet who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. He's awake, he's aware, he knows what he's doing. Now, as I start looking at this, one of the things I realize is that when they came back from the captivity, some of the people who had lived in the land had intermarried, And they had become the Samaritans. But when the people come back, they too are involved in these marriages. If you study the books of Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther, you see it plainly. Just to make reference to Ezra chapter 9, verse 1. He said, When these things were done, the leaders came to me saying, 
the people of Israel, the priests and the Levites, have not separated themselves from the peoples of the land with respect to the abomination to the Canaanites, Hittites, Pezrites, Jebusites, Ammonites, Moabites, Amorites, Egyptian Amorites, for they have taken some of their daughters as wives for themselves and their sons, so that the holy seed mixed with the peoples of the lands. Now listen carefully. Indeed, the hand of the leaders and the rulers has been foremost in this trespass. What you have is they come back and you've got the priest. You've got the leaders of the people and they're intermarrying with the people of the land and they're saying, no big deal, no big deal. But the truth was, if you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 7, God had given them a law all the way back in the beginning with Moses and he says, nor shall you make marriages with them. You'll not give your daughters to their son or take daughters for your son. Now why? For they will turn your son's hearts away from following me to serve other gods. Here's what's going on. They come back in and they intermarry. And you know what starts happening almost immediately? Apostasy. People start leaving the Lord. You know, if I were to give you an illustration of a few of them, you know what Solomon did. First Kings chapter 11, verses 1 through 8, he said, Solomon loved many foreign women, as well as the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, the Hittites. God had already said, you don't intermarry. Solomon clung to these in love, the latter part of verse 2. He had 700 wives, princes, 300 concubines, his wives, his wives turned away his heart from the Lord. And then he goes on to say that he should not have done that. And then you can see verses 8 and 10. He did likewise for all of his foreign wives. He burned incense, sacrificed to their gods. So the Lord became angry. If God became angry with Solomon, what do you think he did with the children of Israel who came back? Or you can think about old King Ahab. Among the worst of the kings of Israel. It said that it came to pass as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he took as wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbel, king of the Sidonians, and he went and served Baal and worshipped him. Here's what's happening, folks. All throughout the history of the Old Testament, God said, Don't do it. Solomon did it. He suffered for it. Ahab did it. He suffered for it. Now the children of Judah, what are they doing? They're doing the same thing and they're suffering for it. Now let's ask a question because if we, we're going to have to apply this to our generation. How many Christians have lost or are losing their faith by marriages to worldly-minded spouses and spouses of man-made churches? I know people don't want to talk about that. They don't want to talk about make sure that you are a Christian marrying a Christian. Because when you start thinking about that, it's like Second Peter 1 verse 1, he says, to those who have obtained a like precious faith. We believe the same thing. We worship the same God. We worship in the same way. When you see a young man or a young woman who's just smitten, would love for this young woman 
or this young man. And what happens? You find them being drawn into the world with that. But you see, I want to marry someone. You ought to want to marry someone that you're going to be able to spend eternity with. Because if you are a Christian and they're not a Christian, you're not going to be together eternally. One of the great things that Paul talked about in Second Thessalonians or First Thessalonians chapter four verses uh, eight thirteen through eighteen is about what to expect when the Lord returns again. He says that I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who've fallen asleep, that you sorrow not as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, them also God will bring with him who sleep in Jesus. What that means is if there's a person who is a Christian and they pass and their spouse is also a Christian and they pass, they're going to be together in eternity. And then he says in verse 17, Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together within the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. I can't tell you how many times I've stood with a spouse who's lost a loved one at the casket and say, you want me to tell you what comforts me? I know we can be together in eternity. The second thing that you will notice that Malachi is going to bring up is the faithlessness in their marriages. Let's look at verses 13 through 16. And this is the second thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and crying, so he does not regard your offering anymore, nor receive it with goodwill from your hands. Yet you say, for what reason? Because the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth, with whom you have dealt treacherously. Yet she is your companion and the, your wife by covenant. But he did not make them one having a remnant of the Spirit. And why one? He seeks a godly offspring. Therefore take heed that to your spirit. And let none of you deal treacherously with the wife of his youth. For the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce. For it covers one's violent, garment with violence. Says the Lord of hosts. Therefore take heed to your spirit. That you do not deal treacherously you know one of the things that you observe is the altar covered with tears there's this weeping there's this crying going on and and yet God's not accepting their offerings from that altar why were things so bad we have to read the context to appreciate in fact if you want to just back up to chapter 2 and verse 1 I want you to notice a few things. I'm not going to read all nine verses, but I do want to pull out some very important points. He said to him in verses 4 through 6, Then you shall know that I have sent this commandment to you, that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant was with him, one of life and peace, and I gave them to him that he might fear me, so that he feared me and was reverent before my name. Now listen carefully to verse 6. The law of truth was in his mouth, and injustice was not found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and equity, 
and turned many away from iniquity. You know why God sent the priest? He said they're supposed to find the, the words of God from his mouth. You're supposed to be able to go to the priest and he can teach you God's law. It said in the latter part of verse 6, and he turned many away from iniquity. What you and I are supposed to do is we study God's word. We're supposed to recognize this is what's right and this over here is what's wrong. And if you do what God wants you to do, you'll turn away from this iniquity, from this wrong. Verse 7, for the lips of the preacher should keep knowledge and the people should seek the law from his mouth for he is a messenger from the Lord of hosts. You listen to him. God's put you his message Verse 8, but you have departed from the way. You have caused many to stumble at the law. You know why there's a problem? The priests weren't telling the people the truth. You see, that's what happens when people start losing interest in God, when their sacrifices and their offerings are just the junk that they don't want. And now what the priest is doing is they're telling everybody, oh, don't worry, God will accept you. Generally, a congregation is no stronger than the leadership, than the teaching they're getting. Proverbs 9 and verse, 20, or verse 2, when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice, but when a wicked man rules, the people groan. You have leadership that's leading you in the right direction, that's something you can rejoice in. Here's the problem. Divorce had become all too common. And folks, here's a recognition of our day and age. Divorce in the 21st century is way too common. It's become almost an accepted thing. These people were divorcing over trivial matters. Now, what had God's word said? You go to Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 1 through 4, and he says, When a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some uncleanness in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts her out of his, um, puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house. When she goes, uh, departed from her house, goes and become another man's wife, the latter husband detests her. Same thing, you've got divorce, leaving, marrying somebody else, divorce, leaving, marrying someone else. And some of them were even trying to just go back once again. You see, here's the problem. Jesus, in his message, said, that's not the way God intended it. In fact, they're going to ask him a question in Matthew 19. And the question was, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? And he answered and said to them, have you not read that he who made them in the beginning made them male and female. And for this reason shall a man leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they're no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let not man separate. Let not man separate. That means me, that means you, that means the courts of the land. God's law is you shouldn't separate. But they said, well then why did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away. He said, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. That wasn't what God intended. 
Well, then what does God look at? And whoever divorces his wife except for fornication and marries another commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. Somebody says, wow, that puts a lot of people in jeopardy today. It does, folks. It puts a lot of people in jeopardy. Because God's law was very plain and very clear. The only reason for divorce and remarriage is if your spouse has committed fornication. Otherwise, you're an adulterer if you remarry, and the person who marries you becomes an adulterer. You see, such was a violation of their covenant. Not only had they made a covenant with God to say, we'll live by your law, but they made a covenant with their spouse, their husband, their wife. And do you remember what... Ecclesiastes 5, verses 4 and 5 says, When you make a vow to God, do not delay to pay it. For there is no pleasure in fools. Pay what you have vowed. Better to not vow than to vow and not pay. What does that mean? Young men, young women, older men, older women, when you make a commitment to be married, live up to that commitment. Someone says, well, I don't know if I can live with them for 40, 50, 60 years. Well, then don't get married. It's a commitment that you're making. He says, take heed that you do not deal treacherously with the wife of your youth. To deal treacherously means to be deceitful. These spouses depend upon the promises that are made to them. When you and I don't live up to them, we're being deceitful. We said, yes, I will promise to be faithful to you till death do us part. But I'm not going to. Now let's look at verse 17 and then we'll try to bring the lesson to a close. You have wearied the Lord with your words. Yet you say, in what way have we wearied him? In that you say that everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord. And he delights in them. Where is the God of justice? Now, many people think there's no justice in this world. They believe that you can live any way you want to and God will not do anything to you. Um, I remember as a kid when we had substitute teachers. We had one who was a great aunt of mine. And she was noted for being very permissive. You could say anything, do anything, you couldn't get in trouble. You know what happened on the days that she substituted schools? It was a madhouse. Everybody knew they could get away with anything. And there, there was no sense of justice there. Do you know there are some people who actually believe that God's just going to let everybody do whatever they want to. There will be no sort of consequences for our behavior. They believe there's no justice. In fact, some do so charging God with honoring the wicked in the same way they do the righteous. The wicked man can do whatever he wants to and get away with it just as much as a righteous man. Oh, you could just go to Psalm 73 and see how the, the psalmist wrestle with that question. Such is really saying it doesn't matter how you live. So I don't have to go to church. I can divorce and remarry whoever I want. I give God whatever I want to give him and he'll take it. God really doesn't count. Well, to this charge, 
Let me point out to you, God does not force us to do right. God's not going to walk behind you and slap you back in line and say, okay, you've got to straighten up now. But He does send His prophets. He does send His preachers. He does send elders through His Word to tell you this is what's right and this is what's wrong. God has been patient and is patient in giving us an opportunity to return. I love the way Peter expresses it in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning His promises. Some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God does not always immediately punish the wicked. And that's where we sometimes think we get away with it. You may tell you the last time I remember my great aunt substituting... She made a horrible mistake. She told the teacher what we did. We may have gotten away with it that day, but you know what? When the teacher come back, it was tough. I'm talking about pop test every day for a week. I'm talking about uh, no break time. I mean, it really was tough. Sometimes there's a failure to appreciate God's divine justice, thinking that He's not going to somehow demand it because He didn't demand it today. I'm looking at the book of Malachi. Chapter 1, people are starting to lose interest. Chapter 2, the families are falling apart. These are signs, these are symptoms of an apostasy. Do you think that that's happening in our world today? I do absolutely believe that's happening. Sadness and heartache come from all of this when you choose to live an ungodly life. And I think about the tears on the altar, the, the weeping, the sadness, and sometimes people don't realize the way I'm living is what causes all this sadness. Because the way of the transgressor is hard. But I'm going to tell you, I'm going to give you a little bit of preview. Chapter 3 is going to be tough also about greed. You know what chapter 4 says? The sun is going to rise. Play on words. The sun, S-O-N. And Malachi says, if you want to enjoy the blessings of God, then you've got to put God first in everything. You've got to put Him first in your life. You've got to put Him first in your home. And you've got to put Him first in your finances. God's got to be there first in every place. What a privilege we have tonight to be able to extend the Lord's invitation. We've already seen two young men baptized this past week. What a great opportunity it is for us to be obedient to the gospel. If you want to become a Christian tonight because you believe in God, why not repent of those sins, confess your faith in Him, and be baptized? If you're a Christian, you look at your life and you say, I know what, I need to correct some things in my life. Here's your opportunity. We're going to sing while we pray and while we plead. If you'll come, as together we stand and sing.